Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete podcast. Very excited that today's guest is with Anne Friedman. She is a multi-hyphenate writer, podcaster, journalist. She is one half of the podcast Call Your Girlfriend, which is one of my absolute favourites. It's a weekly show, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. And it's been going for quite a while now and is probably the podcast I've listened to for the longest So definitely check out that podcast if you haven't already subscribed. She is now the co-author of the forthcoming book, Big Friendship, which is out this month in July 2020. It's a Bible on how we keep each other close. The book is authored by both Anne and her co-host and co-author and best friend, Aminatu So. Aminatu has also been a guest on Control-Alt-Delete. She was episode number 183, if you wanted to go back and listen to that one as well. And Big Friendship is their book and it is their story of their own 10-year, complex, loving friendship. They share their highs, lows and hard-won wisdom with honesty and compassion. They've weathered life-threatening health scares, they've survived long-distance living apart from each other. And the message of the book really is that when it comes to friendships and these really important friendships in our lives, we need to invest in each other again and again. I absolutely love the book. I think we need more honest conversations about friendship and female friendship. And like all other relationships in our lives, it takes work. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We talk all about friendship. And depending on when you listen to this episode, the book will either be out or it will be out next week. So I highly recommend picking up a copy. Hope you enjoy this one and I will see you next week. So I'm very excited to be joined by Anne Friedman, one half of one of my favourite podcasts, Call Your Girlfriend. So this is really fun and exciting. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I know that this was never your aim in life, I'm sure, but you have over the years become a bit of a, not poster girl, but very much an inspiration in the freelance kind of self-employed, do your own thing world. And just wanted to say thank you for that, really, because I've followed your work for years and it's nice to see someone do it and then do it their way and then kind of encourage you to take the leap. Oh, thank you. From someone who's also great at doing it her way and encouraging others to take the leap. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you're the original. I mean, I wrote about being a multi-hyphenate and then in my head I had all these people who had, who were already doing it. So thank you very much for that. But yeah, really wanted to talk to you mainly just for this half an hour about your book and about friendship and about I just loved it so much. I just, I don't think we can go off on many tangents because I want to go right into the book. Um, So congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations on Big Friendship. I just wanted, first of all, for you to just describe what Big Friendship means because you've almost coined like a new terminology. Yeah, that was the idea. We, of course, like everyone had used various terms to refer to our decade long intimate, very close, very intense friendship. We, you know, called each other BFFs and besties and lots of things that, you know, would look appropriate um, on like a little necklace or something like that, like kind of cuter terms. And we really realized as we dug into this project that part of what we're trying to do is really acknowledge that there are some friendships that really rise to a level of prominence in your life that are akin to a family member or a spouse. And we needed a new term for that. You know, best friend really is just not cutting it. 
So, mm. so yeah, so that is where big friendship comes from. And really, I think everyone who is in one can define it for themselves. But for the two of us, we really think of it as a relationship that is long lasting, you know, like the, the mm-hmm. fact that it has lasted in the past and you want it to last into the future. Um, that's one aspect of the kind of big <laughs> part of it. Um, but also just in terms of the emotional space that that friend takes up in your life um, and the support they provide being really significant. Mm, I love it. I love it so much because like you say, some, it, there's no word for it and you guys have come in and made a word for us. And I wondered your thoughts on you know the whole trend around the squad like the squad goals of you know Taylor Swift and her big gang of women or whatever your book made me feel like this isn't like having a massive group of friends you know it's something much deeper yeah I I think that when we looked at concepts like squads um, which is really related to the sort of television or sitcom idea that you can have you know, maybe three best friends and you all are together all the time and you don't see anyone else, that really just did not apply to the way our friendship has worked. You know, we both, we are both in a big friendship with each other, but then also Aminatu has other close friends who are not my close friends. I have close friends who are not her close friends. And while we know and respect them, it doesn't look like the kind of sex in the city gathered around a table at brunch, all of us together, you know? Um, And I think that you know, by this point in time, there's been significant pushback against the idea of squad goals as sort of a mean girl, maybe, you know, like popular exclusion, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, something that makes you feel like the worst social dynamics of your teen years recreated. Um, and even Taylor Swift, you know, who was the poster girl for this, has sort of recanted and said, oh, I realize this is making other women feel bad. Yeah. And I think it's fine. Listen, if you're someone who's got three big friends and you all hang out all the time and that does look like your life, great. I think we were just trying to put words to the fact that there are really a variety of experiences of close friendship and different configurations mm-hmm. it can come in. Yes, yes. I've got to admit, when I first read it, when I read the first chapter, I was so relieved to hear that you and Aminatu aren't perfect and that you (laughs) had issues because I don't know whether it's my story projecting onto you two obviously through the podcast but I yeah I did kind of hold you guys up as like this friendship that was just you know you never had any problems and it was really I feel bad saying that it was nice to read that you do. I think that it is you know not not every version of this book began that way you know we really wrote it pretty chronologically. And the truth is that, you know, for many years in the beginning of our friendship, it was quote unquote perfect in the sense of we weren't fighting or we didn't feel any strife with each other. I think that now with the benefit of hindsight, we can see that there were a lot of things we weren't talking about in that phase. And, you know, that's one reason why we wanted to start at a point of difficulty so that readers, when they were reading those early chapters where things are pretty much great with our friendship, could be looking for the cracks a little bit in the way that we were not in real time. And sure, maybe there are some long-term close friendships where they never have a fight, they never cause each other any pain. But I think we really just wanted to normalize the fact that every intimate relationship, yes, even if it's a friendship, is probably going to contain some difficulty as you try to figure each other out. A hundred percent. Because I guess when I was reading the book, it was interesting because yes, it's friendship, but really a friendship and a big friendship, all it is, is a relationship. 
and any relationship takes work you know people say before you get married you're not going to be happily ever after running into the sunset like it's going to be continuous work and I guess that is proof through your podcast that you've been doing it for so long and I actually remember like a very early piece of advice that I got maybe at school someone was like never mix business and pleasure I remember someone <laughs> I remember someone just saying that to me and I've had to really unpick it because it's, it's not true I know. And you guys show that it's not true. I think that, you know, every situation is different and also, you know, specific to the people in it. And so there are some people who say, listen, I never make friends at work. You know, I will just never hang out socially with my coworkers. And there are other people whose lifelong closest friends are people that they met at work and who they spent all their time with. And our story is a little bit of the reverse, which is we were friends for four years four and a half years, five years, something like that, before we started the podcast together. And I think that is a fundamentally different arrangement. And we still did not know everything that it would mean <laughs> to start a podcast together. We did not know it was starting a business together. We did not know we were adding something to both of our long hyphenate titles. <laughs> but I do think that that overarching don't mix business and pleasure is something that I'm really glad I have not followed that advice in my career, mm. I will say. Mm. Yeah. And also that's really true what you just said about how maybe it's easier or well, not easier, but just different when you can actually say this person is my friend first, mm -hmm. like before anything else, this is my friend. Whereas if you met at work, I don't know if you can actually say that you're friends first. So maybe it's a little bit more tricky. Or you have to kind of come around to prioritizing the friendship in a different way. Um, you know, whereas for us, we could always say with great confidence that the friendship is more important than the collaboration, because that's what mm -hmm. came first. Yes, absolutely. Oh my God, this book goes into so many, so many things. And I absolutely love it because it's like the podcast in the, in the way that you take a topic, but you dig at it from so many different angles. I wanted to bring up, this isn't a huge part of the book, I don't think, but when you talk about how friendship can sometimes, it can actually like further your career, certain friendships and how we're in this weird social media world. And you kind of unpick that in a way I've not read before. I mean, from a couple of different angles, I think, you know, we are very um, open about the fact that work is important to both of us. We both find a lot of personal satisfaction in what we do for work. And that is true. That's been true no matter how much money we're making from it. Right. Like sort of decoupled from some pure like what is our salary questions. And so it's really central to both of us in our friendship as well. You know, I mean, this question of. Um, Shine Theory, which I know you've had Aminatu on to talk about that. I won't, mm. I won't go into all of the detail because I will assume all of your listeners can go back and listen to her explain that. But for us, when we think about Shine Theory, it's about helping each other reach the goals that we have for ourselves. And for mm -hmm. us, those goals have largely been professional. Like we are really got these work aims. But I think you're also referring to some of the things we write about with regard to social media and how you're portraying um, the friendship that you're in. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it can get quite sticky. Like the how, how are you? Are you avoiding questions in your friendship because it's too complicated for whatever the work arrangement is? Things like that we really had to grapple with as we um, figured out how to tell this story together. Yes, yes. Because also, I guess it's just something to be aware of in terms of when you're navigating a friendship. I think it's it's obvious with you two, like you just talk about these things because you're interested in it. You know, the layers of even when you're like doing sponsored content, you're so self-aware and being like, oh, this is uh, how we make the podcast. <laughs> but just for you guys to even be aware of like how a friendship can build a brand 
is just is fascinating and and how that shouldn't get in the way of the friendship either right and also how we don't want to be a brand for uncomplicated easy friendship i think that like if if there's anything that that this book represents it's that we would like to be people who are known for talking about what's difficult about friendship as much as what's great about it. And we can take issue all day long with like the being a brand, you know, that verb (laughs) to be a brand. But at the end of the day, like that's the conversation that we want to be having. Yes. Another amazing chapter and something that I have not read much about is interracial friendships. Um, You guys go there and talk all about that. And I thought, It was brilliant. Yeah, you know, friendship is extremely under-researched. There are a lot of studies about children and how they form friendships. There are studies about college students and how they form friendships, I think because they are an easy audience or like an easy population to reach for a lot of researchers. But there is very little about the kind of I'm out of my school years, I am not a child anymore, adult friendships like we have. And all of that is doubly true for interracial friendships. There was an essay collection that we read, and there are a couple of scattered studies trying to measure how many friends of another race people have, but Mm -hmm. virtually nothing about the ways it is navigated within a friendship. And I think that's really telling. You know, when you look across publishing and media, the gatekeepers are overwhelmingly, horrifyingly white. And when you look at the statistics, who is least likely to have an interracial friendship? It's white people. Mm -hmm. And so there's a reason this topic is so underexplored, I think, which is that editors and, you know, people who are commissioning work on this topic do not see it as a core part of friendship because it's not a part of their personal experience. So, yeah, so we really struggled with exactly how and where it should go in this book. And ultimately, when we realized how little is out there, we knew we had to give it a full chapter as opposed to dealing with it within within another part of the book. Even the realization that actually there needs to be a big level of trust when you go into that friendship. Also how there's so much conversation at the moment but, um, about being an ally and like the formula to be one. Whereas in your book, there's just really active examples of how you've done that without it being kind of like a one, two, three step guide. It's just like, here's our life or what we've done. And the example I think that stood out is is when you were sort of the voice of Shine Theory when actually it was both of you. Yeah, and I think that, you know, some of that is a result of not having the intention to make Shine Theory a big thing, right? I think if we had known it would be very popular, I I know for myself, I would have approached that very, very differently. And in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, this is just another one of my weekly columns, like let's get it done. I really didn't know. And so I think that it's also true that if I had really had at the forefront of my mind the ways that Black women have not been credited for their intellectual contributions, I also would have written it differently or I would have been thinking about it differently. So yeah, so I, I think that that's a good example. Also to the point about language and finding a language for things, through many of our conversations that led to the words that you eventually read in this chapter, I really learned a lot of vocabulary for talking about some of these things. You know, when we talked about incidents where I have disappointed Aminatu, for example, 
said or done something that like, you know, oh, wow, clearly race was not at the forefront of my mind. I was really thinking about an incident as deracialized and there is no such thing as a deracialized incident. When we really had a conversation about why that was difficult for her or painful to her, one of the things that came up was like, oh, because of my friendship with her, black people assume that I am like you know, going to have a certain level of competency with these issues. And so we, she kind of hit on this term of a racial endorser. So she's my racial endorser. And so when I screw up, it makes right. her look bad. And like something about that concept as well, like that's kind of true for any relationship. Like you want your friends to be at the same like moral and values place that you are. But it really manifests very differently when um, you're talking about an interracial friendship um, when one of the people in it is white. And so like that's another great mm-hmm. example of really lacking a vocabulary and through our conversations about like, yeah, why was that so difficult? Or like, why was that so hurtful? Coming up with some more specific terms for what we'd experienced. Another thing that comes up in that chapter is that if race is coming up explicitly in an interracial friendship that involves a white person, it's often or usually not because the white person is initiating the conversation. And so that's something I've also really taken with me. Um, that I think mm-hmm. a lot of white folks, and I'm speaking about myself too in various circumstances, really think that there's such a thing as like, a, we're just dealing with each other on a specific person to person level. Like, it's not really about race. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's really yeah. not true <laughs> in most situations. And so you're right that this this chapter is fully the result of a lot of deep and vulnerable conversations that I feel profoundly grateful that Aminatu was willing to have with me. Mm. And I feel so grateful that I got to read it because you can tell it's years and years of work. Probably the book as well was probably a, <laughs> a lot of work, but I just mean like getting to this point, you're sharing so much. I wanted to ask you quickly about the Spark chapter and about mm. this whirlwind romance that I feel like is very specific to women and, and female friendship and this almost like obsession with each other and I know that's like infantilized in sitcoms sometimes but like it's true you get so wrapped up in each other and you want to be together the whole time and I just wondered have you had times where you've had that but it fizzles out and do you think with Aminatu it's like sometimes it's rare that it sticks I've experienced it in a lot of different ways, you know. Um, I think that most of my close friends of all genders began, most of those friendships began with a kind of whirlwind, like exciting butterflies, early new friend energy phase. (laughs) And I also think that I have had some friendships that were very close for less than a year and then kind of fizzled. And I think that, you know, Not that everything in this book has to be a parallel to dating, but it's true sometimes that like once you get one layer deeper, you realize that you are actually not so compatible or you realize, you know, or something happens where one of you switches jobs or moves away and you don't have the kind of ease of connection and you realize that you don't want to go to the next layer of depth or or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. I really do, though, love that. That feeling is very magical, like, you know, and I think we're used to feeling, we're used to seeing it kind of venerated in a romantic context, but it is just as powerful when it is a new friendship. And that sense of possibility of, wow, this person could be in my life forever (laughs) is is still intoxicating when it's a friend. It is. It's like a whole romance. And And I would say it's the same is true for friendship breakups. I can genuinely say that one of the most painful breakups I've had is is with a friend. And 
I remember being in Rome, of all places, eating <laughs> pizza with my boyfriend and literally crying over this um, this woman who was my friend. And and I it was just so weird having like a heartbreak, but I was with my partner. Do you know if you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's an, I don't think it is weird. I mean, presumably this friend was someone who you felt a true intimate connection with like presumably Mm -hmm. this friend like knew you really closely and you know we write a little bit about some of why a friend breakup is so painful is like you know for example you're emotionally exposed like you know now that this person doesn't have any obligation to you they're carrying all this personal info about you but you don't have that kind of bond or contract that they're going to keep it safe and so you know at, at the deepest emotional level a friend breakup I feel like is is no different than any other type of loss of intimacy mm-hmm. it's so yeah that is so true and I'm glad I've realized that now and realize it's normal um (laughs) you talk a little bit about oprah and gail in this book who i am also obsessed with what an amazing lovely friendship that they have this is a bit of a out there question but i just thought it'd be interesting to ask you do you think there is more of a pressure to a friendship that is public because if it broke up people would know more about it i don't know i I do think that, you know, to your earlier question about brand or like kind of linking yourself with someone professionally, it does raise the stakes for a friendship, you know, while for us, it's like, you know, not the top of the the stack of priorities, the fact that we work together. It definitely was a motivator to fix the problems that we had in our friendship because we didn't like the way it felt so different inside than it looked on the outside. We write in the book about how we, like you, fully idealize Gail and Oprah. Really what we're trying to introduce is a level of like critical consumption of relationships that we think we know about. And, you know, you you see this with um, celebrity breakups in the romantic realm where people are just devastated when a couple that they had idealized breaks up. And it's like, well, what did you really know about them? And, you know, listen, I would be devastated if Oprah and Gail were not friends anymore. Like, don't get me wrong. But but the same principle applies of, um, of, you know, we only know the little tidbits that they've chosen to give us about their friendship. Yes. And also, I did listen to your episode on Call Your Girlfriend with the Gossip Queen mm. and how, what's she called again? Sorry. Elaine Louie. Mm-hmm. For people listening, definitely go and check her out. And about how celebrities or public figures or people in the media, they do reflect our realities back to us. And sometimes when I see a famous duo not be friends anymore, I'm like, well, that's... um that's the world. That's real life, you know? I know, but that's not really how we're trained to see celebrities. I think we're really trained to, if someone is a public figure, they're there for idealizing or beating up. You know, they're not there mm. for to, to represent sort of all of the complicated things that might happen in a human being's life and relationships. And so, yeah, I think that you you really see those two impulses at play with all kinds of celebrity relationship breakdowns. Absolutely. That's why we come to your podcast for the nuance and not not the 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 whole of the internet. So I wanted to ask you lastly about just how it's been in lockdown for you about to promote a book. I'm sure that once upon a time you might have had a plan to do some events and things. How how is it looking and what do you hope that people get from the book? Well, I'll be honest with you that the fact that we will not be in the same city on the day this book comes out into the world Mm. 
is profoundly sad. You know, the fact that we don't get to go to a restaurant, just the two of us, and celebrate. The fact that we are not going to be sitting side by side for any, you know, any of these interviews that happen related to it. And, you know, and we write in the book about the importance of ritual and milestones. And, like, this is a huge milestone. It's both of our first book. It represents a huge amount of work on both of our parts. And the fact that we are not going to get to experience a kind of milestone event to bring that into the world together in person is the number one saddest thing for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Missing out on things like going on a book tour and seeing people in person, like all of that stuff is like, yeah, yeah, I guess I wish we were meeting people face-to-face who had read this book. But really, when I think about why did we write this book and what are we proud of and what does it represent, I am saddest about not getting that in-person time together. I mean, listen, there'll be a paperback version that comes out um, in summer 2021. Maybe things will be different then. Who knows? But yeah, it is. um, It's strange. Well, I think it's going to just be it's going to go down so brilliantly with everyone who buys it, because I think what you did with Shine Theory was amazing. And I think you've you've kind of done that again with Big Friendship. It's it's yeah, I'm so glad it exists and we get to talk about it in all its layers. Oh, everyone thank listening. you for talking about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> everyone listening go and buy a copy of the book and um yeah hopefully we can have another celebration in 2021 with the paperback oh i would love that and and you know we will be doing like events and things online there will be it, it's not like it will feel like nothing has happened but yeah i i too want to celebrate this in a different way in the future <laughs> yeah thank you so much Anne. thank you emma thank you emma 